0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge of Wharton.
1: Lunch is apparently becoming a lost art. More people are avoiding going out at midday to grab a bite to eat, and the three-martini lunch is mostly a thing of the past. Research group MPD says there were 433 million Fewer lunch trips last year by Americans at a cost of $3.2 billion. So how do the restaurants deal with all of that lost revenue? To take a look at this trend, we welcome in studio our friend Jason Reese, marking lecturer here at the Wharton School. And joining us on the phone is Miguel Gomez, who's an associate professor in the School of Applied Economics and Management at Cornell University. Jason, good to see you again, as always. Hi, Dan. thanks. Miguel, great to have you with us on the phone. Thank you for joining us today. Good morning, Dan. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh, So it appears, Jason, we're either looking at
2: more brown bagging or people ordering in a bit more. Yeah, it's probably not more brown bagging. The trend towards people eating more food away from home, that's buying away from home, eating away from home, uh, continues to rise. So it seems to be largely a takeout story. Miguel, how about you?
0: Well, I think that uh, if you look at the, the uh, if you look at the long term trends, uh, uh, you see that the food away for, from home has been stuck into fifty percent of total spending for the past twelve years, uh, and is not looking to be increasing. So, I think it's a question of macroeconomic forces and also more competition for for, for sup- for, from supermarkets
1: Well th- then that explains why we have uh, a restaurant to a degree Miguel like Panera which made the announcement a few uh, months back that they were going to be hiring tens of thousands of news new workers and a majority of them were going to be drivers so that people could you know order food on a Panera app and be able to uh, have drivers be able to you know take the food to the to the office of wherever this person was ordering from.
0: Yes, I think that's absolutely right, and is this uh, demand of consumers for convenience? They have less time. Uh, they have more flexible hours to spend more time at home, so they want to have a meal or uh, at lunch quickly, and I think restaurants are going to be working on deliveries much harder in the future.
1: How much do you think, Jason, there is the element of Work-at-home environment, which obviously has uh, has really played out in the business community now for more than a decade, uh, with people maybe working from home one day a week, two days a week. It's easy for them to be able to just jump up, grab something out of the refrigerator, and there's you know ten dollars, fifteen dollars that they didn't have to spend. Uh, you know, if they
2: were going out to lunch. Yeah, it certainly seems plausible. What I haven't seen is anything that measures that association directly. The amount of time that people spend working at home goes up and down. There's a general upward trend. But I haven't seen that measured explicitly in association with changes uh, in the macro trends around around restaurants, it it seems plausible, but I I just haven't seen it measured.
1: So, but we we are in a spot right now where technology has to be very important to a lot of these companies, and it's almost getting to the point where if you don't have an app to allow people to order
2: online, then you're really behind the eight ball. Yeah, that seems right. I mean, so few of the chains have been able to specialize in delivery service, the pizza. Space is the exception, and something like two thirds of meals are uh, delivery meals are are still pizza. Yeah. Amazingly, um, but the other chains just haven't. I mean, if you think of the casual dining chains like Red Lobster, Olive Garden, Chili's, those are not places that are top of mind for home delivery. They're not really set up for it. Uh, Panera included, although that's changing. Even McDonald's uh, has made forays into the into the delivery space,
1: but the places Miguel like Applebee's and Chili's and those they're trying to be more into that space. I, I, is it is it just harder for them to be able to put the formula, the winning formula together?
0: I think it is harder because of the type of meals that they offer, and uh, because of their you know their Im- big investments in in having play- people come to the restaurants and spend. Time there, so I think it is. It is harder. It's a big. It's a big shift for them relative to uh, to other types of uh, companies like uh, like my that were mentioned before. Yeah,
2: those casual dining chains that we were talking about, the sit-down ones, they were built for a relatively comfortable but affordable sit-down experience where you've got a server coming to your table, it's a bigger step for them to go to delivery than it is for the fast casual chains, which really just crank out the meals, um, or the quick-serve chains, uh, and they'll probably be quicker to adapt.
1: And it's also the mindset of the consumer, to a degree, in terms of thinking of a place like a Chili's or an Applebee's as a place where you can go and, and order something and pick it up, Compared to going into a Panera, it's a much different mindset for the consumer.
2: That's right. And as Miguel hinted, it may not be even the kind of food that people want uh, w- when they want home delivery. They may just want something different. They may want an opportunity for higher quality yeah. or, or uh, more variety.
1: Well, meal size too, Miguel is probably part of this as well. When you think about going to a, you know, a a fast casual, it, it it probably is a little bit more of a smaller meal in general than some of the other restaurant chains as well. I mean that people are are thinking in many cases a little bit more healthy in terms of the amount of food that they put in their in their bodies at lunchtime. So this would kind of be something that would play against somebody like an Applebee's.
0: I think that's absolutely right, and I think that's one of the points that have not been emphasized enough. People are concerned about their health, and they want to have more control on the meals that they have in terms of the size and the quality. And I think part of the what I was mentioning before about uh, having better options in supermarkets to get ready to consume meals that are maybe... Uh, Maybe have less calories or or more desirable attributes are a big big component. Uh, things that you can put very easy together at home that you can bring to the to the to the to the office to eat. But also I think is also attributed to this to the big push of the restaurants for increasing uh, breakfast meals and breakfast yeah. meals are smaller and have a smaller tickets. So I think that also has an impact on on, on performance of restaurants.
1: Well, how, how is this changing also the structure of a lot of these restaurants in terms of staffing and, and, and you know, the amount of time that they will have people on the clock, uh, Miguel? I would think that if if we have seen this much loss in one year, $3.2 billion in one year, it has to change a little bit of the thought process of the industry in terms of their staffing.
0: Absolutely, and that's in terms of uh, scheduling, uh, in terms of the type of workers that they will have, and uh, and uh, because we have to think that the, the food service industry is one of the largest employers uh, in, in terms of sectors in the industry, because this is a labor-intensive uh, activity. So it's definitely impacting the way, the type of workers that they are going to to,
1: to be
2: employing in the future, Jay. Yeah, and there's also minimum wage pressure on these restaurants, um, increasing risk of raising minimum wage. Yeah. And you know, for the workers, of course, that's a that's a great thing for those who keep their jobs and get that increase. But for the chains, as they think about their strategic futures and their costs, that's going to be a big piece of it. And there's some risk that that cost will increase as their needs are are changing. As their labor needs are changing in ways that they don't yet completely understand. Well,
1: I read a couple of stories uh, in the last day or two about not only this being an effect on the restaurant industry, but also the food suppliers as well and the impact that they're feeling because they're not giving as much food or selling as much food to some of these restaurant chains as they were five years ago, just because of a little bit of this change in philosophy by consumers more, you know, more of this food is probably end up going to the grocery chains and the, you know, the variety of different locations, but it's not going to the restaurants.
2: Yeah. I mean, Miguel is closer to the supply chain story than I am. But yeah. It's certainly going to have impact uh, throughout the entire supply chain. Um, and, yeah, I've seen some of those articles as well, suggesting some, at least the, the chicken um, suppliers uh, are, are feeling the hit for the declines in lunch and dinner uh, restaurant meals. Miguel?
0: Absolutely. And uh, it's interesting because uh, from the supply chain's perspective, when you are uh, serving restaurants, your business model is completely different than when you are serving the supermarket industry in terms of quality standards, packaging, presentation of the product. So yes, there are big changes in the supply chain because, in because uh, in terms of quality of the pro- products, tend to have uh, different standards of quality because in the grocery store, you want products are usually sell fresh, so you want them to look good. The package is very important and is a very important component. So, so there is uh, definitely the the largest. Uh, food uh, producers in the country call it dairy call it uh, meats or fruits and vegetables they are they are making adjustments to try to to try to shift channels to some extent
1: 844 Wharton is the number if you'd like to join in and give a comment 844 942 7866 if you're somebody that isn't going out as much as maybe you were a couple years ago give us a call Tell us why. Give us your reasons and your thought process. 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get your phone and you're sitting at your desk and you don't want to walk away, send us a message on Twitter, at BizRadio111, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Uh, Does food cost, Miguel, does food cost play a role in this in any way, shape, or form?
0: Yes, I think that's one of the many factors because the the prices of food at supermarkets relative to the prices of food at restaurants has been declining over the past uh, five years, perhaps a little bit more. And that's because of what Jason mentions about how important is labor in the cost of a restaurant. So this is definitely played in favor of the supermarket sector because people are finding cheaper food at the supermarkets than in, in the typical restaurant.
1: How much of an impact is the is the uh, the payment issue of, of labor these days, especially where we see uh, more and more cities are looking at that $15 an hour minimum, although some of these workers are still not going to be at that level because of the tips that they receive at some of these restaurants. But still, overall, labor costs are, are a, a much bigger factor than they were 5 to 10 years ago.
2: Yeah, and I mean that's just—it's one of the many managerial challenges that these uh, big chains face. They've got changing customer preferences, they've got changing nature of the supply chain, mm-hmm. and the changing labor pressures. And the ones who win will be the ones who figure out how best how best to manage that. But it's—it's not—it's not easy. There are skill sets involved uh, in these labor forces. You think about uh, the big. Uh, sit-down restaurant chains, the casual dining chains—they might have seven or eight hundred locations, maybe twenty or thirty servers at each of those locations, yeah. and. I don't know. I've not worked as a restaurant server, but uh, I greatly appreciate the people who do serve me meals at restaurants. Yeah. It's it's not easy talking people through their preferences in subtle ways and, peop- and the customer is always fussy in some way. We're trying to maximize different things. I want a delicious meal, but I also have these health objectives and maybe I want to share with my friend over here. It's not a trivial job to do it right and provide the customer with an in-restaurant delightful experience that's yeah. not going to annoy them in some way.
1: Which to a degree is what Chipotle was headed towards un- until they had their issues with the the, f- the food in their restaurants. I mean, they were seemingly on a pattern of
2: really serving the needs of a lot of consumers until that happened. That's right. And part of that was getting the table service away, be- uh, taking the table service away because it's a, it's a hard thing to get right from a, from a labor perspective. But yeah, then of course they had their food contamination issues and uh, sales plummeted. They've recovered somewhat, but uh, I believe not to the level that they were. Uh, Two years ago,
1: Miguel, that's this issue seemingly, though, does not change, even though it will it will affect staffing. It doesn't change the actual structure of a lot of these restaurants. I mean, it's not like we're going to see Applebee's start to build smaller restaurants. I mean, they're going to keep their their form pretty much the same, wouldn't they not?
0: Yes. What I think is that uh, the strategies toward the future will will change probably to add to to build new restaurants uh, m- that are more appropriate to the new consumer demands and the new economic situations. But but yes, I don't I don't, I think it's very hard for a for a for a big company like Applebee's or Chili's to to make a dramatic shift in their strategies. And I just want to mention something about Chipotle because that means that the problem with Chipotle with the supply chain was driven by Interestingly, by the demand of consumers for local foods, yeah. so, so, it, so it was, it was, it was trying to, to to meet the demand for for the consumers that they had less control over the over the food safety standards of their supply chain, and, and that was a big blow for them.
2: One other angle on the sit-down restaurants, um, and, it, and it affects fast casual too, is the sale of alcohol. Um, Margins are vastly higher on alcoholic beverages, and the casual dining space, is opposed to fine dining, casual dining, it's not necessarily a huge proportion of sales, yeah. but it's a large, very large proportion of margin, and if people are doing takeout uh, or delivery, that sale is entirely gone.
1: is the number to give us a call. Your comments are welcome. Uh, Do you still go out to lunch? Uh, Is it something that you do less of than you did maybe, say, five years ago? 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I find it interesting, the move that Panera made When they announced that they were going to hire all of these drivers to make that shift because they knew that seemingly this was a fundamental shift that was in the works, it feels like we would probably have the opportunity to see more of these companies really try and make that move. I mean, it may become more of... Connections with companies like Uber Eats and and all of these to just get this food out to the consumer and not have to worry about as much the restaurant itself.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting, actually, because there are now so many of these third party delivery services, Uber Eats being perhaps the biggest brand, but not certainly not the first mover yeah. in the space. Um, and because of all that activity among these startups doing delivery, you might expect that that's the way that that quick service like Panera is going to win by Managing that relationship well, but what they're saying is they want to have full control over the complete customer experience, which includes the delivery time, the nature of the delivery, yeah. um, the delivery driver, even perhaps, including the payment method, the way that the food is uh, is dropped off, extending the in-store experience in some way. It reduces the commoditization of the experience. And that's probably a big part of what's what's driving it, uh, not just cost reduction.
1: But does it also change moving forward potentially where these companies think about placing their restaurants? And, and I say that because obviously with the way that malls have been struggling over the last uh, decade or so, a lot of these malls have these big restaurant chains right. in them. There may not be the need to actually associate yourself with a mall anymore or as much as maybe you did 30 years ago.
2: Yeah, or conceivably, even if some of these mall locations shut down or become unprofitable, they can be opened up as uh, delivery locations or catering locations, for lack of a better term. Miguel?
0: Exactly, yes. I think, uh, I think convenience of location to reach as many customers... Uh, um very fast uh, will be and in a low cost with low cost will be a priority for many of these initiatives when we try to to when as restaurants start uh, investing in 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 direct delivery initiatives
1: so will we start to see a version of the drive-through starbucks except it's the drive-through chipotle in the in the near future
0: I I I really believe so that this is going to happen uh, sooner, it's very soon. Mm-hmm. But Jason, go ahead. Mm-hmm.
2: No, I was gonna I was gonna punt on that one and say that I wouldn't predict what any what any single <laughs> chain would do. Um, but yeah, it's certainly in line with some of the things we're seeing.
1: But it, it, it is important that they have to address these issues now because just the numbers I read at the top of the segment: four hundred thirty-three million fewer lunch trips to restaurants last year, $3.2 billion in, you know, potential lost revenue. That's a pattern that sends you towards bankruptcy, not necessarily keeps you in business.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, one reason why I punted on the drive-through question is for distribution models, as with anything in marketing or business, it's extremely hard to know exactly how to get it right. And many of these organizations are going to experiment with different models and just see what what works and then in the, on top of that you have new technologies coming online that are going to help in various ways help your competitors too um, but you know we're probably not too far away from experimentation with drone delivery in fact i think there have been some oh. high profile examples of that especially in you know in rural areas that are suburban areas that might be plausible um, but yeah it's it's a difficult thing to predict you just got to try stuff how, to some
1: how much does the potential uh, change occur also now that the, if we see Amazon and Whole Foods, if that tie-up happens, that Whole Foods element may be getting even further and deeper into this type of business. Yeah, I
2: mean that's a that's a fascinating one. Um, e-commerce for grocery is something like uh, you know two percent or less of the entire channel, and that just seems crazy because it's so much higher in many other categories and has been around for a while, but it's just, it's not sticking with many consumers. Um, you would have to think that Amazon's purchase of Whole Foods is a massive bet on their ability to greatly increase that e-commerce channel for grocery. And, you know, grocery these days, as Miguel suggested earlier, includes prepared meals. Yeah, um, That's what people are going to these grocery stores for. Um, and they can just as easily have those delivered at home um, to be either eaten at a particular time uh, or heated up later. Miguel,
0: absolutely, and I think the the most successful re, uh, supermarkets in the U.S., in Europe, and in Japan uh, are uh, supermarkets that are focusing on that part of food service, uh, and uh, and they are thinking about about also offering convenience, quality, and direct delivery to consumers. So. Uh, I I think that is that that is one of the biggest uh, areas of development for supermarkets to yet compete more with the traditional supermarkets uh, restaurants
1: 8449427866 is the number to give us call and Miguel I I mentioned this question to Jason before but I'll I'll ask it of you I mean from a technology perspective uh if you're somebody in the restaurant industry right now and you don't have an app to be able to have that offering for your consumers, you're really playing behind the eight ball at this point, correct?
0: I, I think that's absolutely right. And uh, even if you want to eat in the premises, you probably will see people that want to order in advance. So, so I think if you, are not in the, if you are not applying technology, you are going to be way, way behind the, the industry standards for business models.
2: One thing we do have to think about, though, with each of these brands having an app is just how many apps consumers are going to be willing to have on their phone. Um, Uber Eats gives you access yeah. to a whole bunch of different restaurants, and consumers want that. Maybe Panera is a first mover and as kind of a unique player in the space will be able to win with that. Um, it seems unlikely that all the chains will be able to do that. Um but yeah, we'll we'll see and those aren't small investments as you alluded to to get the, to get the app going and the kinds of services that, that people are going to want.
1: But in the scope of the business today, when you think about it, that investment, compared to 3.2 billion dollars of lost revenue for the industry, Seemingly, the investment is small compared to what the benefits could be down the road. Yeah,
2: for any chain, though, it's very hard to say. I mean, it'll depend on the kinds of services that they can add on and whether those are services that people want. I mean, you and I have talked on the show many times about things that are happening in, in restaurants and supermarkets. And you know, each time we talk a little bit about health, um, but the calories consumed away from the home are still vastly higher than calories consumed in the home. And you know, despite calorie labeling and other trends like that, if brands, uh, restaurant chains can find ways through their apps to give people meals that are delicious, that are interesting combinations, where you have the stuff you want, yeah. and maybe just a little bit of greens, fewer French fries, yeah. those are the kinds of things that are going to improve health. Um, if they can do that efficiently, and consumers, you know, recognize that those are real opportunities to have their cake and eat it too. That may be another way to win. Could we see
1: more investment, more potential M and A with some of the bigger food companies' food elements trying to take over, like a, a version of Amazon and Whole Foods, except it's a big food company taking over an Applebee's or a, a Panera or a, a Chipotle or something like that?
2: Yeah, that's that's interesting. I haven't seen that uh, that kind of consolidation or integration
1: but it cuts down one step in the process. I mean, it, it probably pro- yeah. provides quite a few issues along the way, but it, it does cut down a step in the process as well. Mm-hmm. Miguel?
0: Yes. No, I think that's a possibility, but the uh, M&As are so difficult to predict in the, in the food industry in particular because I think we didn't know, you know it was a surprise to many that Amazon uh, purchased uh, Whole Foods. So, but that may may as well happen to 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 take advantage of synergies between industries that are in different sectors.
1: So, what do you think is the best path for a lot of these restaurants uh, to to really follow Miguel, so that they can try and turn this around a little bit?
0: I think they should they should uh, keep uh, the focus on consumers and understand what consumers. Uh, one, uh, how are they consuming meals? Why are they uh, going less and less to restaurants to some extent? Uh, and then uh, adapt gradually to strategies that we have discussed, that Jason has mentioned, to really, you know, at the end, consumer, consumers are the, the, the king, you know. So we need uh, restaurants are there to make them happy, yeah. Keep, keep them happy and keep them coming, keep, keeping them loyal. And I think they just need to adapt. Uh, and, um, and an example of that was Starbucks in, in the early 2000s when, when they started getting new consumers that wanted faster, good quality coffee, but they didn't want, didn't want to linger. And they had been able to transform. The, 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 at that time, they, they changed business model, and they are what they are today.
2: Jeez. Yeah yeah I mean that, that's exactly right the customer the, the, the companies that do the best prediction of consumer preferences are going to be the, and, and can execute on it are going to be the ones that win but consumers are fickle and we have such a high variety of taste you know Dan, you showed me offline here an image of a new Dunkin Donuts product and yeah. I've got a, a, a friend and neighbor who's uh, one of the top chefs in Philadelphia and what does he have for breakfast on a regular basis a, a Dunkin Donuts uh, beverage. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's still one of his favorite go-to things. So yeah. the mix of fine dining and um and quick serve is always is always gonna be there among the same individual.
1: Which really tells me again, going back to something I said before, the location. It you know, the joke is in real estate, location, location, location. This is gonna be even more important in the food industry and the restaurant industry in,
2: in the years to come. Yeah, that's right. For the way that they use the space, but also for the ways that consumers see each other using the space in dense areas where consumption is more of a a common or communal activity in some ways, uh, location is still going to matter because you've got concentrations of consumers uh, with similar tastes and figuring out who those people are um, can be a challenge.
1: Great to have you both with us. Jason, great seeing you again. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Dan. Miguel, great to have you on the phone with us. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you, Dan. Thank you all the best. Miguel Gomez from Cornell University, Jason Reese from here at the Wharton School.
0: For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.